Okay, welcome to chapter four of The Giver. Um, just to recap a little bit about what we've been doing so far. One of the questions that was asked was, how is this sort of shaping up to be a science fiction? Well, I would like for you to consider how people do things. Not what they're doing, but how they're doing it or how they're told to do it. Is it something that everyone does or is it that people do whatever they want to do? Um, just consider that. Um, and also in the last chapter, uh, the last thing we read or the last part of the chapter had an incident where there was something going on with an apple. Um, Jonas had an apple and it started to change for some reason. Uh, it's not clear how it changed, but it's something that the author is sort of setting up some sort of a, a question in your mind, something for you to be curious about. Okay, so um, here we go. Chapter 4, which is on page 41 of your PDF. You can pause here and go to your PDF and open that up. It's on page 41. Chapter 4. Jonas rode at a leisurely pace, glancing at the bike ports beside the building to see if he could spot Asher's. He didn't often do his volunteer hours with his friend because Asher frequently fooled around and made serious work a little difficult. But now, with 12 coming so soon and the volunteer hours ending, it didn't seem to matter. The freedom to choose where to spend those hours had always seemed a, wonderfully luxur a wonderful luxury to Jonas. Other hours of the day were so carefully regulated. He remembered when he had become an eight, as Lily would do shortly, and he had been faced with the freedom of choice. The eights always set out on their first volunteer hour a little nervously, giggling and staying in groups of friends. They almost invariably did their hours on recreation duty first. Their hours on recreation duty first, helping with the younger ones in a place where they still felt comfortable. But with guidance as they develop but with guidance, as they developed self confidence and maturity, they moved on to other jobs, gravitating towards those that would suit their own interests and skills. A male eleven named Benjamin had done his entire nearly four years in the rehabilitation center, working with citizens who had been injured. It was rumored that he was as skilled now as the rehabilitation directors themselves, and that he had even developed some machines and methods to hasten rehabilitation. There, has no doubt, there was no doubt that Benjamin would receive his assignment to that field and would probably be permitted to bypass most of the training. Jonas was impressed by the things just Benjamin had achieved. He knew him, of course, since they had always been groupmates, but they had never talked about the boy's accomplishments because such a conversation would have been awkward for Benjamin. There was never any comfortable way to mention or discuss one's successes without breaking the rule against bragging, even if one didn't mean to. It was a minor rule, rather like rudeness, punishable only by gentle chastisement, but still, better to steer clear of an occasion of an occasion governed by a rule which would be so easy to break. The area of dwellings 
behind him. Jonas rode the area of dwellings behind him. Jonas rode past the community structures, hoping to spot Asher's bicycle parked beside one of the small factories of office buildings. He passed the child care center where Lily stayed after school and the play area surrounding it. He rode through the central plaza and the large auditorium where public meetings were held. Jonas slowed and looked at the name tags on the bicycles lined up outside the nurturing center. Then he checked those outside food distribution. It was always fun to help with the deliveries, and he hoped he would find his friends there so that they could go together on the daily rounds, carrying the cartons of supplies into the dwellings of the community. But he finally found Asher's bicycle, leaning as usual instead of upright in its port as it should have been at the house of, old, of the old. There was only one other child bicycle there, that of a female 11 named Fiona. Jonas liked Fiona. She was a good student, quiet and polite, but she had a sense of fun as well, and it didn't surprise him that she was working with Asher today. He parked his bicycle neatly in the port beside theirs and entered the building. Hello, Jonas, the attendant at the front desk said. She handed him the sign-up sheet and stamped her own official seal beside his signature. All of his volunteer hours would be carefully tabulated at the Hall of Open Records. Once, long ago, it was whispered among the children, and Eleven had arrived at the ceremony of the Twelve only to hear a public announcement that he had not completed the required number of volunteer hours and would not, therefore, be given his assignment. He had been permitted an additional month in which to complete the hours and then given his assignment privately with no applause, no celebration, a disgrace that had clouded his entire future. It's good to have some volunteers here today, the attendant told him. We celebrated a release this morning and that always throws the schedule off a little, so things get backed up. She looked at the printed sheet. Let's see. Asher and Fiona are helping in the bathing room. Why don't you join them there? You know where it is, don't you? Jonas nodded, thanked her, and walked down the long hallway. He glanced into the rooms on either side. The older were sitting quietly, some visiting and talking with one another, others doing handwork and simple crafts. A few were asleep. Each room was comfortably furnished, the floors covered with thick carpeting. It was a serene and slow-paced place, unlike the busy centers of the manufacture and distribution where the daily work of the community occurred. Jonas was glad that he had, over the years, chosen to do his hours in a variety of places so that he could experience the differences. He realized, though, that not focusing on one area meant he was left with not the slightest idea, not even a guess, of what his assignment would be. He laughed softly, thinking about the ceremony again. Jonas? He teased himself but he suspected that with the date so near, probably all his friends were too. He passed a caretaker walking slowly with one of the old in the hall. Hello, Jonas, the young uniformed man said, smiling pleasantly. The woman beside him, whose arm he held, was hunched over as she, shuff as she shuffled along in her soft slippers. She looked towards Jonas and smiled, but her dark eyes were clouded and blank. He realized she was blind. He entered the bathing room and 
with its warm, moist air and scent of cleansing lotions. He removed his tunic, hung it carefully on the wall hook, and put on the volunteer smock that was folded on the shelf. Hey, Jonas, Asher called from the corner where he was kneeling beside a tub. Jonas saw Fiona nearby at a different tub. She looked up and smiled at him, but she was busy, gently washing a man who lay in the warm water. Jonas greeted them and the caretaking attendants at the work nearby. Then he went to the row of padded lounging chairs where others of the old were waiting. He had worked here before. He knew what to do. Your turn, Larissa, he said, reading the name tag on the woman's robe. I'll just start the water and then help you up. He pressed the bottom on on a nearby empty tub and watched as the warm water flowed in through the many small openings on the sides. The tub would fill in a minute and the water would flow uh, and the water flow would uh, would stop automatically. He helped the woman from the chair, led her to the tub, removed her robe and steadied her with his hand on her arm as she stepped in and lowered herself. She leaned back and sighed with pleasure her head on a soft cushioned headset. Comfortable, he asked, and she nodded, her eyes closed. Jonas squeezed cleansing lotion on the clean sponge at the edge of the tub and began to wash her frail body. Last night, he had watched as his father bathed the new child. This was much the same. The fragile skin, the soothing water, the gentle motion of his hand, slippery and slippery with soap. The relaxed, peaceful smile on the woman's face reminded him of Gabriel being bathed. And the nakedness, too. It was against the rules for children or adults to look at another's another's nakedness, but the rule did not apply to new children or the old. Jonas was glad. It was a nuisance to keep oneself covered while changing for games, and the required apology if one had by mistake glimpsed another body at glimpsed another's body was always awkward. He couldn't see why it was necessary. He liked the feeling of safety here in this warm and quiet room. He liked the expression of trust on the woman's face as she lay in the water, unprotected, exposed, free. From the corner of his eye, he could see his friend Fiona help the old man from the top and tenderly pat his thin, naked body dry with an absorbent cloth. She helped him into his robe. Jonas thought Larissa had drifted into sleep, as the old often did, and he was careful to keep his motion steady and gentle so he wouldn't wake her. He was surprised when she spoke, when she spoke her eyes still closed. This morning we celebrated the release of Roberto, she told him. It was wonderful. I knew Roberto, Jonas said. I helped with his feeding the last time I was here, just a few weeks ago. He was a very interesting man. Larissa opened her eyes happily. They told his whole life before they released him, she said. They always do. But to be honest, she whispered with a mischievous look, some of the tellings are a little boring. I've, been, I've even seen some of the old fall asleep during tellings when they released Edna recently. Did you know Edna? Jonas shook his head. He couldn't recall anyone named Edna. Well, they tried to make her life sound meaningful. And of course, she added primply, all lives are meaningful. 
I don't mean that they aren't, but Edna? My goodness, she was a birth mother. And then she worked in food production for years until she came here. She never even had a family unit. Larissa lifted her head and looked around to make sure no one was listening. Then she confided, I don't think Edna was very smart. Jonas laughed. He rinsed, his left, he rinsed her left arm, laid it back into the water, and began to wash her feet. She murmured with pleasure as he massaged her feet with the sponge. But Roberto's life was wonderful, Larissa went on. After a moment, he had been an instructor of 11s. You know how important that is? And he had been on the planning committee. And goodness, I don't know how he found the time. He always raised two very successful children, and he always, and he was always the one who did the landscaping design for the central plaza. He didn't do the actual labor, of course. Now you're back. Lean forward, and I'll help you sit up. Jonas put his arm around her and supported her as she sat. He squeezed the sponge against her back and began to rub her sharp boned shoulders. Tell me about the celebration. Well, there was the telling of his life. That is always first. Then the toast. We all raised our glasses and cheered. We chanted the anthem. He made a lovely goodbye speech, and several of us made little speeches wishing him well. I didn't, though. I've never been fond of public speaking. He was thrilled. You should have seen the look on his face when they let him go. Jonas show, slowed the strokes of his hand on her back thoughtfully. Larissa, he asked, what happens when they make the actual release? Where exactly did Roberto go? She lifted her bare, wet shoulders in a small shrug. I don't know. I don't think anybody does, except the committee. He just bowed to all of us and then walked like they all do through that special door in the releasing room. But you should have seen his look. Pure happiness, I call it. Jonas grinned. I wish I'd been there to see it. Larissa frowned. I don't know why they don't let children come. Not enough room, I guess. They should enlarge the releasing room. We'll have to suggest that to the committee. Maybe they'd study it, Jonas said slyly. And Larissa sh shorted, shortled with laughter. Right, she hooted. And Jonas helped her from the tub. Okay, chapter 5. That would be page 50. Usually, at the morning ritual when the family members told their dreams, Jonas didn't contribute much. He rarely dreamed. Sometimes, he awoke with a feeling of fragments afloat in his sleep, but he couldn't seem to grasp them and put them together into something worthy of telling at the ritual. But this morning was different. He had dreamed very vividly the night before. His mind wandered while Lily, as usual, recounted a lengthy dream, this one of a fright this one, a frightening one in which she sat when she, in which she had, against the rules, been riding her mother's bicycle and been caught by the security guards. 
They all listened carefully and discussed with Lily the warning that the dream had given. Thank you for your dream, Lily, Jonas said, the standard phrase automatically, and, and, and tried to play better attention while his mother told of a dream fragment, a disquieting scene where she had been chastised for a rule infraction she didn't understand. Together, they agreed that it probably resulted from her feelings when she had reluctantly dealt punishment to the citizen who had broken the major rules a second time. Father said that he had no dreams. Gabe, father asked, looking, out, looking down at the basket where the new child lay gurgling after his feeding, ready to be taken back to the nurturing center for the day. They all laughed. Dream-telling began with threes. If new children dreamed, no one knew. Jonas, mother asked. They always asked, though they knew how rarely Jonas had a dream to tell. I did dream last night, Jonas told them. He shifted his chair, frowning. Good, father said. Tell us. The details aren't clear, really, Jonas explained, trying to recreate the odd dream in his mind. I think I was in the bathing room at the house of the old. That's where you were yesterday, father pointed out. Jonas nodded. But it wasn't really the same. There was a tub in the dream, but only one, and the real bathing room was rows and rows of them. But the room in the dream was, a war was warm and damp, and I had taken off my tunic but hadn't put on the smock, so my chest was bare. I was perspiring because it was so warm, and Fiona was there, the way she was yesterday. Asher too? Mother asked. Jonas shook his head. No, it was only me and Fiona, alone in the room, standing beside the tub. She was laughing, but I wasn't. I was almost a little angry at her in the dream because she wasn't taking me seriously. Seriously about what? Lily asked. Jonas looked at his plate. For some reason that he hadn't understand, he felt slightly embarrassed. I think I was trying to convince her that she should get into the tub of water. He paused. He knew he had to tell it all, that it was not, that it was not only all right, but necessary to tell all of the dream. So he forced himself to relate the part that made him uneasy. I wanted her to take off her clothes and get into the tub, he explained quickly. I wanted to bathe her. I had the sponge in my hand, but she wouldn't. She kept laughing and saying no. He looked up at his parents. That's all, he said. Can you describe the strongest feeling in your dream, son? Father asked. Jonas thought about it. The details were murky and vague. But the feelings were clear and flooded him again now as he thought. The wanting, he said. I knew that she wouldn't and I think I, I knew that she shouldn't, but I wanted it so terribly. I could feel the wanting all through me. Th Thank you for your dream, Jonas, mother said after a moment. She glanced at father. Lily, father said, it's time to leave for school. Would you walk beside me this morning and keep an eye on the new child's basket? We want to be certain he doesn't wiggle himself loose. Jonas began to rise to collect his school books. He thought it surprising that they didn't talk that they hadn't talked about his dream at length before the thank you. Perhaps they found it as confusing as he had. Wait, Jonas, mother said gently. I'll write an apology to your instructor so that you won't have to speak so you won't have to speak one for being late. 
He sank down into his chair, puzzled. He waved to Father and Lily as they left the dwelling, carrying Gabe in his basket. He watched while the mother tidied the remains of the morning meal and placed the tray by the front door for the collection crew. Finally, she sat down beside him at the table. Jonas, she said with a smile, the feeling you described as wanting, it was your first stirrings. Father and I have been expecting it to happen to you. It happens to everyone. It happens, happened to your father when he was your age, and it happened to me. It will happen someday to Lily. And very often, Mother added, it begins with a dream. Stirrings. He had heard the word before. He remembered that there was a reference to the stirrings in the Book of Rules, though he didn't remember what it said. And now and then the speaker mentioned it. Attention, a reminder that the stirrings must be reported in order for treatment to take place. He had always ignored the announcement because he didn't understand it and it had never seemed to apply to him in any way. He ignored, as most citizens did, many of the commands and reminders read by the speaker. Do I have to report it? He asked his mother. She laughed. You did, in the dream telling. That's enough. But what about the treatment? The speaker says that treatment must take place. Jonas felt miserable. Just when the ceremony was about to happen, his ceremony of 12, would he have to go to some place for treatment just because of a stupid dream? But his mother laughed again in a reassuring, affectionate way. No, no, she said. It's just the pills. You're ready for the pills, that's all. That's the treatment for stirrings. Jonas brightened. He knew about the pills. His parents both took them each morning, and some of his friends did, he knew. Once he had been heading off to school with Asher, both of them on their bikes, when Asher's father had called from their dwelling doorway. You forgot your pill, Asher! Asher had grown good-naturedly, turned his bike, and ridden back while Jonas waited. It was the sort of thing one, did, one didn't ask a friend about because it might have fallen into the uncomfortable category of being different. Asher took a pill each morning. Jonas did not. Always better, less rude to talk about things that were, that were the same. Now he swallowed the small pill that his mother handed him. That's all, he asked. That's all, she replied, returning the bottle to the cupboard. But you mustn't forget. I'll remind you for the first weeks, but then you must do it on your own. If you forget, the stirrings will come back. The dreams of stirring will come back. Sometimes the dosage must be adjusted. Asher takes them, Jonas. Asher takes them, Jonas confided. His mother nodded. Unsurprised, many of your groupmates probably do. The males, at least. And they all will soon. Females, too. How long will I have to take them? Until you enter the house of old, she explained. All of your adult life. But it becomes routine. After a while, you won't even pay attention to it. She looked at her watch. If you leave right now, you won't even be late for school. Hurry along. And thank you again, Jonas, she nodded as he went to the door. For your dream. Pedaling rapidly down the path, Jodas felt oddly proud to have joined those who took the pills. For a moment, though, he remembered the dream again. The dream had felt pleasurable. Though the feelings were confused, 
He thought that he liked the feelings that his mother had called stirrings. He remembered that upon waking, he had wanted to feel the stirrings again. Then, in the same way that his own dwelling slipped away behind him as he rounded a corner on his bicycle, the dream slipped away from his thoughts. Very briefly, a little guiltily, he tried to grasp it back, but the feelings had disappeared. The stirrings were gone.